Fatality Fitness Podcast, covering everything from fitness, health, and nutrition with your host, Matthew Smiley, covering top topics and answering all your fitness Q&As with featured guests. Hello, this is the Fatality Fitness Podcast, and on this episode, we're going to be speaking more about um, sports nutrition and performance, and the best person to speak to is Scott Robinson. So, Scott, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, Matthew, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, yeah, so as you've just said there, I'm a sports nutritionist and exercise physiologist. Um, I have a human performance lab in Leicestershire, so in the Midlands of the UK. Um, and that's where I see lots of different athletes of all different sports and also members of the general public too. And they come in for testing and, and sports nutrition support. So, yeah, we work with a range of different athletes from motorsport athletes to footballers. Uh, and then we've also got some boxes on the on the books as well, which is uh, which is a nice variation, really. Could you tell us a bit more about your background? So, how you got started in nutrition? Um, what made you show an interest in it, and where you took it from there? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess my interest really in nutrition grew quite organically. I guess I was always interested in in sport when I was younger. Went through the kind of natural route of doing PE at GCSE, then. Uh, P at A level, uh, biology, things like that. And then, yeah, just really enjoyed that side of things. So I went on to do a sports science degree at Liverpool John Moores University. And it's there where my passion for nutrition really grew. So I had some good mentors in Professor Graham Close, Professor James Morton, uh, Professor Don McLaren as well. Um, and they were all quite heavily nutrition based in what they did and particularly in the applied work that they did as well. So I managed to get some good breaks and good opportunities with those guys to kind of get my foot through the door in, in elite sport. Uh, then I went on to progress to do a PhD in exercise metabolism and nutrition at the University of Birmingham under the supervision of Dr. Gareth Wallace. Um, and during this time, really, obviously, as well as studying nutrition and metabolism, I went in as the nutritionist at Aston Villa Football Club, which is where I stayed for, I think it was around about four or five four or five years overall. Um, so I had a really good stint there. Um, and meanwhile, I was working for a company called Guru Performance, who maybe a lot of your listeners might be familiar with. Um, so that was under Laurent Bannock. And um, we worked in private practice there and also set up the Institute of Performance Nutrition, as it's now known, uh, where we kind of um, set up a course in, in sports nutrition, so a post-grad course there. So, um, yeah, got some good applied experience there, some good educational experience, and then went on to set up my own consultancy around about two years ago now, so my own business. Um, and that's where I've recently set up the Human Performance Lab because previously I was going all over the country to do testing with the athletes, uh, particularly the boxers. Um, so I thought I could just bring it all in-house, build my own specialist lab, um, and ultimately be able to deliver a really high level of service to the athletes that I work with. Yeah. So you're talking about your you kind of your breakthrough was uh, working with footballers and working mm -hmm. with Aston Villa. How how have you kind of built this relationship now? Working with quite a lot of the kind of boxers and combat sports. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one actually. I mean, it was it was quite it was a stroke of luck in a way because my um, supervisor at, at Birmingham, Gareth, he. Um, one of his friends and also a lecturer at the time at the university, Andy, Dr. Andy Philp, who's now over in Australia. Um, he's really good friends with the strength conditioning coach. 
who works down in London called Duncan uh, Agilvy. And he start, Duncan started to work with a pro boxer called Lawrence Acoli, who'd come out fresh from the Olympics and had just turned pro at the time. Um, so Duncan spoke to me, said, would you be interested in supporting Lawrence with some nutrition? So I said, yep, sounds great. Um, started doing some work with Lawrence. Um, think hopefully did a pretty good job. Um, and then obviously word of mouth spreads. And then, um, yeah, he spoke to Cali Fi up at Sheffield. And Carl's obviously Birmingham-based, so with me being in Birmingham as well, it made sense for us to link up and just discuss how we could potentially work together. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been in, in uh, Carl's team now for a, a good two, three years. Um, done a fair few fights with him as well. Uh, and it's grew quite organically from there. So really just word of mouth um, and other boxers getting word of, of what I do in the boxing world and, and how I might be able to help them. Yeah, can you di- can you dive in and tell us what fighters you're currently working with now? Because it just seems to be... Uh, expanding every time I check you're fi- you've got another fighter on the cards <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, in terms of the fighters uh, there's uh, obviously Kali Fai uh, Coley there's Callum Callum Smith uh, Anthony Crawler as well um, did the last couple of fights with him before he retired which was fantastic um, got a light heavyweight called Chad Sugden who's up and coming um, had a great performance against Spider Richards uh, on a matchroom show uh, just before the back end of uh, just at the back end of, of last year, got Jordan Gill, um, who's just absolutely fantastic to work with. Uh, Cal's brother Gamal, um, who's also fantastic, going out to see those guys in Texas on Sunday, ready for Cal's fight uh, the following week on next Saturday. Um, we're with Connor Ben um, as well, and also uh, Khalil Majid, who's based up in Bolton, who's absolutely fantastic to work with. Uh, Callum Johnson as well, who's uh, obviously potentially got a European or a world title shot next, which is fantastic for him because he puts in an incredible amount of work into everything that he does, like all the guys do, really. Um, so, yeah, I hope, I've, I hope I've not missed anyone off. i probably missed one name off from that. But, um, but, yeah, quite a few, and it's a really nice mix and really nice variation of people, of good people to work with. Yep, that's definitely growing. Um, can you tell me more about the services you do then? So if I was a... If I was a boxer just starting out and I came to meet you, what would be the process? So where do you take it from there? Yeah, sure. So that we have lots of different options available. Obviously, because we've got the lab, um, we can do kind of baseline testing on the athletes to see, check their metabolism, check their fitness, check their bloods. Uh, we can do advanced sweat testing, and then we can send them on their way and give them a program to follow that's more so um maybe less contact points should we say um so obviously boxers will work with different budgets depending on where they are in um their career so we can provide support on different levels for fighters um those guys who i've just mentioned there i work one-to-one with during uh, their whole camp so um i'm sure if i turn my phone over i'll probably have five or six messages from a few of them now uh, waiting for me to get back um but that's because we speak every single day so they'll usually if we're doing an, uh, like an eight to 10 to 12 week camp, they'll come in for around about two to three, maybe four testing blocks, just to check how everything's changing and developing. Uh, and then I'll write out their nutrition plan pretty much for every single day. So we'll map out every meal, every snack, every drink that they have over the course of the camp. Uh, and then I'll be on the other end of the phone to them uh, pretty much all times just to make sure that they're happy and everything's going well. And not only do they make the weight as best as possible, but they can perform as best as possible during the whole camp. Uh, obviously, so they adapt as, as best as possible, and then they can perform well on the night. Yeah. So, what 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 main factors are you looking for when the fitness testing when you do it at the start? 
Yeah, sure. So, the, I mean, the, in terms of the fitness test, we can look at lots of different things. So we can look at the basically the size of their engines, so their VO2 max. So are they fit enough to be in that ring on fight night? Um, and then also their so-called engine efficiency, so how many miles to the gallon they can do. So by that, we'll look at their things like their ventilatory thresholds, their lactate thresholds. Um, we can also look at fat max as well, which is a really interesting one, to look at how much fat they can use at different exercise intensities, which has big implications for um, carbohydrate use whilst in the ring as well and, and helping to delay that onset of fatigue. So, I mean, that's that's the fitness test. We offer probably five or six other tests as well that's, that's relevant to the boxers and helping them perform as best as possible. Yeah. You feel that the the boxers are, are getting more educated on nutrition now? It, it, back in the day, it used to be a matter of... Um, putting in less fuel and, and try to make weight um now now they're getting educated on basically being able to fuel for the, the right sessions yeah yeah 100 that's a that's a big focus on on what i do with the guys and you know it might not make the best sense from a business perspective in terms of i'm teaching them to actually learn and understand and become more autonomous with their nutrition so yeah, actually yeah. they they don't need me as much as what they initially did um, maybe when we first started out, but what's good about that is that once they learn things, they, they're very good at retaining that information, getting into the right habits, and then we can continue to, to build. And when we build, we can then find those extra few percenters that make the real difference to, to their performance. So yeah, like I said, it, it, it was very old school and there's still some old school practices going on now. Um, but you know, if you look at the likes of, you know, the, the boxers who really struggle to make the weight it doesn't always need to be a struggle and they don't need to restrict as much as what they probably think in the final few weeks or even during camp um you know i mean callum callum smith he during his last week he had on average three and a half thousand calories um during that final weight cut but it's just about being sensible with the foods and also choosing the right types of foods at the right times throughout camp. Um, and there's ways in which you can make weight, even for Callum, who's, who's huge at the weight. You yeah, can exactly. you can do it really well and feel well when you uh, when you make the weight, provided it's it's all on point. What, what do you think are the, the main errors that the still that are being made in, in boxing at the moment? The main and, errors? And, yeah, in, in regards to trying to make weight, is it just, do you think, more like the... Um, too high or reduced calories or let's talk about the kind of dangers to the kind of reducing water yeah i mean obviously the dehydration is is a big thing particularly in the final week it's just you know it's there might necessarily might sometimes need to be a small amount of dehydration so maybe acute dehydration of two to three percent body mass um, but that's fine because that's what the boxers do pretty much day in, day out during training anyway. So it's not something that the body's not really used to. And sometimes we might throw that in tactically because if the guys can sweat out 2% body mass the day or the evening before or the morning of a weigh-in, then that's 2 to 3% of body mass that we don't have to lose and that we can actually add more calories and more fuel in during the whole course of the camp. I think any more than 4 or 5% could be a detriment on performance. And I've seen guys go as high as 10, 12, 13% body mass dehydration, um, even more sometimes. And actually, although they'll reload after the weigh-in, they'll put in the electrolytes, they'll put in the fluids, um, that detriment is still there and it's very hard to fully reverse. Um, so the stress that that's actually put on the body is, is quite high. Um, so definitely the dehydration is something that needs to be managed quite carefully. Um, but provided you get the foods right during camp, and particularly on those final couple of weeks beforehand, um, I really don't see a need for most fighters to, to need to dehydrate or put themselves through the mill that much. 
Um, I'd say another mistake is that carb um, boxers don't fight or train with enough carbohydrate in their system. So a really common practice is for boxers to obviously carb load after the weigh-in yeah. so that they've got enough fuel in the time, but they've not actually taught their body how to use those carbohydrates during camp. So the body can't really tap into them as effectively in the ring and going through the rounds, particularly the championship rounds is when it makes a big difference. If you've not primed your metabolism to use the carbohydrate and the fat as and when required, um, you're going you're gonna to struggle and, and that's going to show in the ring, particularly as the fight goes on into the later rounds. Do you feel it's more of a challenge working with fighters than working with the other athletes that you have? Um, I think they're, they're, they all bring their own unique challenges. I think boxing is probably one of the probably one of the toughest sports for a nutritionist to work in, in that you're trying to achieve lots of different things all at once. So, for example, a boxer will come back into camp and they'll they'll need to lose so much body weight. But actually, they're going to need to try and preserve as much muscle mass as possible. They're going to need to try and fuel as well for their sessions, try and reduce the risk of injury, reduce the risk of illness, protect their bodies, protect their health, protect their well-being, um, whilst also performing well and being able to perform at, say, you know, 10 p.m. on Friday, the 27th of April or whatever it, it might be. <laughs> um, so it's a huge, huge balance with everything. Um, but it's, for me, it's one of the most exciting sports because I've trained in, in university for eight years for this. I've done 12 years for applied practice. Um, so really, it's, it's exciting for me to bring everything that I know to the table with these guys and, and help them out because at the end of the day, it's, it's a dangerous sport. They put their lives on the line when they're in the ring. And if I can help them to generally be much happier during camp, feel better, perform better, um, and keep them safe or safer and, and healthier, then it's a really nice thing to be able to do. Yeah. You're talking about them coming in at the start of camp, like overweight. What what would be the ideal weight for a fighter for you to, co for to come in at weight? Like, what's too heavy? Um, I guess, well, I work with guys all over the, or from all different weight categories, but one thing I do say to them is, look, you don't want to, you don't want to really blow up so much, obviously, that it, it's going to make life really difficult. They need to forward think, and they need to think about, okay, if I blow up and if I just binge eat outside of camp, I'm going to make my life much more difficult when I'm in camp because that weight's going to come up, have to come off somehow. But likewise, I think it's really important that after they've had a 10 to 12 week camp that they go away and they switch off and they enjoy themselves and they recharge because if they're constantly on it all the time, 24 seven, 365 days a year, they, they're going to burn out. Yeah, it's um, really, it's, it's, it's definitely a balance with it all. I think they should go and enjoy themselves, and I, I don't make them feel guilty for having the kind of treat foods or whatever it is, but there definitely needs to be a balance between, you know, blowing up too much and, and also having a bit of fun and, and relaxing and enjoying themselves after 10 to 12 weeks of really hard work. So, yeah, usually I'd say in terms of a percentage, probably no more than 15% over the weight. Um, is generally quite a good, sensible target, and then we can bring that down quite nicely, provided we've got long enough in, in camp. There's obviously some of the younger guys, such as Chad Sugden, um, who's the light heavyweight. He doesn't necessarily always know when he's next going to fight. I mean, he was called on to that matchroom show at last minute. He had about three, four days' notice, maybe five. Um, so that's where, with those guys, they really need to manage it a lot better. Yeah. And really fortunately for Chad, and, and this is testament to him, is that he kept his weight in a really good place. So actually it was, it was really easy for him to make the weight as and when he needed to, if he did get that call, which ended up happening. So yeah, it depends on 
the fighters, for example, Cal Fai or Callum Smith, they probably know it's going to be a short while until they fight again, so they can afford to do that. Um, whereas for some of the younger, more up-and-coming guys, they probably need to be a little bit more on it. More on evolve, yeah. So let's let's break down the ideal kind of diet for a fighter for you. What would be the, obviously, I'm guessing individuals work in, within different macros. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the ideal diet, I guess, with the with the guys that I, I work with, they're all on they're all on very different diets actually, because we. So it's hard for me to answer that really precisely, I guess. But there's some fundamental principles that we'll we'll follow, um, because obviously we check their bloods, we check their metabolism, uh, we check what's actually in their sweat. So we look at not only how much fluid do they lose during training, but what's actually in that fluid, what's the composition of the electrolytes, so that we can give them bespoke hydration drinks. So they're replacing exactly what their, their body needs. And that's probably one of the most insightful tests that I can, I can do with a boxer, really, or any athlete in general. Um, I think in terms of the nutrition, we give them plenty of options. So we don't just say, look, here, eat this, eat that. At these times, we teach them what to do. We teach them what to eat, why they're eating it, how it's going to benefit them. We take into account their food preferences as well. So what are the foods that they most enjoy eating? What are the foods that they least enjoy eating? Um, we do food intolerance tests too, so we can find out what foods their bodies don't respond particularly well to. Um, so those are kind of things. They're not obviously intolerances aren't allergies, uh, but are things that the body doesn't necessarily react well to and can sometimes lead to GI distress. So we'll definitely cut those foods out at important times. So maybe on double training days when there's a lot of demand on the on the body, and then also in and around fight week too, we'll cut it out just to, as a security policy really. Um, we do. I do have the guys training on high carbohydrate diets at certain times, then moderate carbohydrate diets at certain times, and low carbohydrate diets at certain times. Um, so it really it varies depending on what their schedule is. So they'll send me their schedule for the week, and we'll map it out. So usually, if they send me their schedule on a Thursday, I'll map out the following week on a Friday for them, um, and that'll be completely. Each day will be completely different depending on what type of sessions they're actually doing and, and what the um what the what the aim and, and the goal of that session is in terms of adaptation. Is there any non negotiable foods that you would put into the diet? That I would take out? No, that you would put in. Definitely like <laughs> things that are non negotiable, like if they say they don't like it, you need to eat it. Uh, not really. It's not really happened to me. No. Yeah, there's always uh, there's always a way around it, I think. Um if someone says it's a non negotiable food then I don't know. I don't really think that's that's the best way to to work with an athlete or build a relationship with an athlete. Uh, it's not for me to force something on someone. It's for me to try and educate them um, as to the reasons why it's important. Um, but ultimately, it's it's their body, it's their life. If they really don't want to have it, then that's my job, not theirs, to find a workaround and, and make a way that it can work. If there's a particular benefit from that food that they they don't really don't want to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Um- Let's talk about, uh, so they've got their nutrition on point, so let's talk about uh, sports supplements. So what would you advise or what supplements do you use for your clients? Yeah, uh, good question. Again, it, it varies quite significantly between the guys. So one of the tests that we'll do is a, is a bloods test. So we've actually got a, a state-of-the-art bloods lab next door. So we can, if a boxer does come into us um, for a bloods test, then we can get the results pretty much straight away within two to three hours. So if they're doing the full battery of tests, they can actually come in, have their blood taken, it'll go next door to be analyzed. And then by the time they've done all the tests, we can sit down and, and talk through the bloods with them. 
Um, in those blood panels, we look at around about 60 to 70 different uh, markers, so vitamins, proteins, minerals, hormones that are all relevant to performance. And what we'll do there is we'll look for any deficiencies. Um, you know, usually even the even athletes that have the best diet in the world at particular times of the year, whether it's weather dependent or just because of any stress that they might have been under or a particularly demanding training schedule, they might be deficient in a few things. And if there's certain things in there that we can't correct through food, then we might look to supplements. So examples would be vitamin D, particularly at this time of year. It's quite low for athletes, um, and that's very difficult to obtain sufficient amounts in food. So usually most guys would be on a vitamin D supplement, and then we can track that over time to make sure that they're, they're responding well and also they're not getting too much vitamin D also. Um, other things I think can be beneficial are creatine. I think creatine is a really underrated supplement in sports in general, but also boxing through fear of weight gain. Um, but actually, if you're strategic with how you implement creatine, it's, it's one of the most beneficial, if not the, benefit, the most beneficial supplement that a, a boxer could have, really, because it helps to protect the bone, the muscle, the brain, helps with their repeated high-intensity efforts as well. Um, there's numerous benefits from it for a boxer to have. Um, and then other ones, beta-alanine is also good as an intramuscular buffer. Um, and then really it just depends. I mean, maybe maybe fish oils, depending on what their omega-63 ratio is. Um, and yeah, just the, the sports gels, sports drinks, the strategic times and, and recovery shakes too. Yeah, can I, can I dive into a wee bit more on the creatine? So... Obviously, yeah. as you said, a lot of, a lot of fighters kind of avoid it because obviously they fear that it, it's holding water. When is an ideal time to kind of take the creatine and when to come off it for uh, making weight? Yeah, usually I think, well, for most guys, they could probably, some guys, we don't really want to risk it um, just through fear of the body weight gain, but that's largely because of that, uh, like the water that, that it that it holds sometimes or water holdage in the, in, in the body. Um Sometimes it can cause an increase in lean muscle mass. And if we do a body composition test on an athlete at the start of camp, it might be that they actually can't afford to gain any muscle during camp. So that's something where we need to be really careful. That if we do put creatine in, it might cause them to gain muscle and therefore struggle to make the weight because they simply don't have enough body fat to, to make that weight. Um, and we definitely don't want to be taking trying to take away muscle towards the back end of a camp, towards the fight. Yeah. Um, with some guys, though, we can implement it all the way through, so we can give them a nice maintenance dose all the way through camp, and they'll be absolutely fine with it. Um, but in terms of making the weight in that final stage, I usually cut it out around about seven to nine days before the weigh-in, um, and that typically leads to a reduction in body mass of, on average, probably about 1.5 to 2% um, that they'll lose just through taking the creatine away, um, and then that excess water will come off. Uh, which will reduce the body weight by around about one point five to two percent. Okay, that's ideal. Um, let's say uh, I can't get you on here and not speak about uh, game changers. You've probably been asked this about a million times. But yeah. what was your thoughts on the on the program? And would you recommend a full uh, plant based diet for any of your athletes? Yeah, I think the um, the program itself for me was quite frustrating to watch. Um, I think the first time around, I only got about 45 minutes into it and, and then I just had to turn it off. Uh, second time around, I watched it in its entirety. Uh, I think it's always important to give these things a shot. Um, I think there were some messages in there that were that were reasonable and, and quite good in that the general population need to, as a whole, just in, increase their intake of healthy fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Um, 
look for high quality food sources and, and try and have a, a varied diet and cut down on the on the junk food really. Um, but a lot of the science in there was very flaky. Um, seemed to be a very very biased argument. I was going to see a bit one seeded there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I just think it's you know for people who who don't necessarily know more about this, it can be it can be very convincing. Um, and obviously on such a large platform such as Netflix, it's going to reach a lot of people and influence a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of the comparisons that they um, that they did with the athletes, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I'm sure it was a pre-match meal where they gave you the steak or something like Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then uh, the other athlete had a super healthy like superfood bowl or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's obvious that the, the players not had the KFC or the fried food would feel better for the game. That's just simple. That's just simple science. It's not really even science. Um, you know, I, in all the football clubs I've worked at, none of the players have those kind of foods like steak or Kentucky Fried Chicken before a game. They'll always have lean meats, lean fish. There'll be a salad bar. There'll be uh, healthy carbohydrate options. Um, but in terms of the, in terms of actually a plant-based diet, I think that in terms of performance, it's not necessarily a magic bullet like people might say that it is. But that being said, I'm, I'm definitely not averse to it. If an athlete comes to me and they says, you know, I'd like to go vegetarian or I'd like to go vegan, um, we talk through the reasons why, and maybe that's a belief reason, then that's absolutely fine. No problem at all, and, and we can make it work. It might be a little bit harder um, because sometimes those diets are, are typically lower in protein uh, and then also much higher in carbohydrate too. So we need to manage that quite carefully. Um, but certainly, I don't think it's a magic bullet like people say that it, it can be. Um, but actually, if an athlete comes to me and they say they want to do it, then we can do it and we can do it well. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there's another fact on the programme that was the, when they were talking about the gladiators, and obviously they were saying that they were really high plant-based, but again, it would it would come down to the environment, um, yeah. what kind of food was about, because apparently in other places there would have been a, a higher fat content they would have been taking. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I, I think at the end of the day, it's just it's just cherry-picking. Um you know, I mean, you look at the guys in, in boxing that go into the ring now and, you know, the gladiators was or gladiators was a very different sport, really. Um, but, you know, you look at the ability of these guys in the ring and what they can actually, the gears they can shift through and how they can perform. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's just not an accurate comparison, really. And if that's the best data that people have is to go back in time and look at gladiators, uh, then I think they're really they're really struggling to find a solid scientific rationale for yeah. um, for themselves. Is there any of the kind of plant based based foods that you would advise people to take? Like, um, I've seen there's obviously a lot more studies on kind of like beetroot juice and stuff. Um, kind of seeing it that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's loads of plant based foods that are implemented into the into the fighters' diets uh, during during the camp. That's you know, that's a no-brainer for me. Yeah. Um, but I'll also put in high-quality meats, high-quality fish, um, some dairy as well, um, because that is very good at helping to protect the bones, um, as well as also being a protein source. Um, but things like nitrates, so beetroot, spinach, uh, those kind of things are, are excellent for performance. And, and Calify hates me at the moment because I'm including quite a lot of beetroot in his foods and he doesn't mind spinach so much, but he hates the beetroot. Um, but we include it at strategic time points. Um, and fair play to him, he, he just, it's the first thing that's on his plate, he waffles it down and then he enjoys the rest of his meal. Um, but things like that, yeah, there's certainly benefits, um, but I don't think you necessarily need to restrict 
um, other foods such as meat and fish and, yeah. and dairy and things like that too if, if, if it's not required. You were say, obviously, you were saying it's, it's obviously high in carbs, but it's low in protein. Um, there's deficiencies, they're saying, in B12. Is there any other deficiencies in the kind of plant-based diet? Yeah, I mean, it, it really varies. I've had plant-based athletes who I've worked with in the past, and, and their bloods have been actually very good on the whole. Um, typically, their B12 has been okay, or their B9, or their iron is can be can be absolutely fine, provided they get it right. Um, but in terms of the risk of deficiency, then yeah, usually it's it's B12, B9, uh, folate, and then also um, iron and and things linked with iron, such as transferrin, transferrin saturation, and things like that too. So definitely, that's where the blood testing would come in really helpful. That is. If an athlete is on a plant-based diet, then we can actually look into the bloods because all too often, and this is a point I forgot to make when I was talking about supplements, is all too often people will just say, you know, have a multivitamin, have some iron, have some vitamin C, have vitamin D, have this, have that, and they've actually not looked into the bloods or done any testing at all. So they're kind of just shooting in the dark. Um, And actually too much of a good thing can be detrimental to performance because, for example, if you have too much vitamin C, so over a... I think it's a thousand milligrams or a gram per day consistently for seven days that can actually impair the ad- adaptive response to training so when an athlete's got a saturated training load and they can only train so many times a week my role is to try and help them get more out of those sessions how can we get two three four five percent more out of those sessions and if they're having too much vitamin c that can actually blunt the adaptive response to exercise so they don't respond as well so it's a case of you can have too much of a good thing it's always good to test um, and then go from there, really, based on the data. Yeah, based on the, the obviously the information that you get from that. Um, let's talk about the. Is, can the general public just contact um, yourself and come in for fitness testing that way and, and, and get all this checked out? Yeah, hundred percent. So we work with general pop. We work with corporate clients, so company exec CEOs. Um, but also just regular us like us regular folk who want to come in and, and kind of get tested and whether it's a general plan with their nutrition or their fitness or whatever it might be, um, anyone is welcome through the door. Um, we have lots of different clients on a day-to-day basis who come to us, whether it's their goals are just to improve general health and well-being, uh, whether it's improvements in body composition, um, whatever it might be, we've we've got the the facilities to be able to help out lots of different people, which is which is really nice for me because it brings lots of different people through the door. So you get to meet different personalities, help people who have their own challenges, their own goals, their own targets. Um, so yeah, absolutely, we can we can work with pretty much anyone. Yeah, and if the, if the people don't want to come do this testing, can you maybe they just want to improve the the eating? Is there ways that they can uh, contact you that way? I know obviously you do a uh, recipe book yeah yeah so we do um we do a recipe book and uh that can be found on on the website so that's a recipe book subscription so you can sign up for one three six or 12 months and you get a recipe book each month delivered to your inbox which are all calorie and macro counted meals uh, there's a my fitness pal barcode scanner on there too so you can if you are tracking your foods on my fitness pal you can easily log them uh, so really just to give pe- people plenty of different ideas with breakfasts main meals desserts snacks smoothies things like that too so that generally they can start eating a little bit better and have a little bit more inspiration with their meals um, we also do kind of online plans as well so we work with people from 
many different countries around the world, really, um, where we'll do remote consultations with them. We'll send them a screening questionnaire, uh, full dietary analysis, see what they're currently doing, uh, and then just look for rooms for improvement. I mean, the testing is fantastic. It's great, but it's also not for everyone. Uh, and some people just don't have access to be able either to, to come down to the lab or, or maybe they're just not interested in that. Um, and if that's the case and they just want to improve their, their general diet, then, you know, we also do online plans as well. Yeah. So before we finish up, just tell us, you've obviously got a big season coming up. You've got Calorie 5 fighting. Um, who else have you got coming out and what else is coming up for yourself? Yeah, so we've got Calorie 5. Um, and we've got Scott Quigg, who's out on the 7th of March. Um, so I've been working really hard with Scott this camp, which has been, which has been fantastic. Scott is just an absolute dream to work with. He's, he's brilliant. Um, just so switched on, uh, yeah. super intelligent with everything, picks it up well. So he'll be fighting on the 7th of March, which is a big fight against Carroll. Um, but I think he does the job quite well on him with that one. It's probably, I know people say it all the time and it, it frustrates me a little bit. So I kind of don't want to say it, but I, I feel like I have to. Is that he's, he's had the best camp uh, that he's, I, I think he, he's ever had. He's just, I mean, the treadmill scared. When Scott steps on the treadmill and he it goes to a fitness test, he's, uh, he, he's an absolute machine uh, yes. on it. Scott's always um, been quite fit and then, then he's, he's always been in point with his nutrition as well. If I, am I right in saying that he's always carried a, a book about, about everything that he eats? Yeah, he's, he's, he's super switched on with it all. I mean, he's, his fitness is, has always been high. Um, I don't think it's ever been this high from all the, you know, I think I've worked with him for a couple of years. So after the after the Valdez fight, I came on board the, the team and we started working together. So I got a good couple of years of data on him. And he's not, he's always been scarily fit and healthy. Um, but now he's, he's, he's probably in his best condition. Um, and then with his food, yeah, he's super switched on. He, we map it out to an absolute T, an absolute T, uh, which helps him massively during camp and hopefully will really help him in the ring too. Um, so there's Scott, um, who's out on the 7th of March, then Khalil Majid is on the 14th of March, uh, and then I think Jordan Gill and Chad Sugden are both out on the 28th of March. So, yeah, it's going to be a, it's a busy week coming up, and in the, in the midst of all that, I'm trying to move house, uh, move two houses into so it's uh, it's a bit mental at the moment, but uh, all good fun and uh, yeah, I love being at box. So, so your thoughts on the Cal U five fight? Sorry, yeah, Cal um, tough fight. Cal, yeah, a great it's a great fight. It is yeah, a great fight. Great I fight. mean, you know, Gonzalez. I think the whole of the U five team have huge respect for him, and I think you know we're on the great fight. He has a lot of respect for us and a lot of respect for Cal. Uh, so two gentlemen going into the ring, but two warriors as well. I think it'll be a great fight on the night. I think Cal hasn't couldn't do any more this camp i think he's he's been absolutely fantastic and uh yeah i'm confident that he gets the job done on, on gonzalez and then moves on to potentially estrada for the unification and you jump out to help him cut make weight yeah so i got there on uh what day is it today friday i got there on sunday no thursday today i got there on sunday okay. uh to be out for the week um so yeah fly out first thing sunday morning and then got the week there with him to to make sure the, the final stage is, is absolutely spot on. Yep. Um, all I can say is thanks very much for um, answering the questions and being on the podcast. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in these fights and with the people that you're working with over the next few few months and years. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.